Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dimitri Filipovich, and joining me is our, is our resident goalie expert, Nick Mercadante. Nick, what's going on, man? What's up, Dimitri? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We're recording this on a, on a Sunday afternoon, working hard before the Super Bowl. Um, we, were just, we were just discussing how uh, Vancouver got hit by a massive snowstorm by its, by its uh, low standards, so... Um, Hopefully, uh, yeah. hopefully this. I is guess the, yeah. Vancouver doesn't get that much snow, huh? No, we don't. Um, I, we we didn't for like a decade, and then I feel like the past year or two we've started getting like colder winters and more snow, and and I think that uh, uh yeah, yeah, the, world, know, the world's the, coming to an end slowly, man. Hey, hey, hey! <laughs> it's not necessarily. It could just be you know the natural. No, no, the world's going to end. Yeah, I'm sure it's com- completely coincidental that there's all these signs that uh, the climate is changing before our very eyes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It, it, the other day, uh, we've we've been having like pretty steady cold weather here in in the beautiful state of Connecticut, and then uh, you know just randomly it's like. 55 degrees and sunny and you're like well this isn't normal for you know the depth of january and february but yeah well that's a great segue speaking of uh, abnormal stuff um we're gonna we're gonna start the show off by talking about some uh, bizarre goalie performances this year um yeah it's, it's been a weird year man i think that you know there's all those jokes about goaltending being voodoo and all that and and being very unpredictable and and there is something to that but you know there's been a handful of guys over the past let's say three to five years that we've just come to expect a a high standard from something between that like 920 to 925 range in terms of save percentage and this year for whatever reason a lot of those guys other than basically like Braden Holtby have just completely fallen apart and 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 played way below what we come to expect from them so I don't know there's some interesting theories circulating around that but do you think it's just one of those things where it's just a coincidence or just you know goal scoring up across the league and goalie performance is down or is it is it is there something to it uh, you know, you have me on as an expert, and, mm. and it's seasons like this where then I'm just like, ah. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I re- 
it's crazy because yeah, this season down is up, up is down. We've got you know Kari Lettinen really having uh, a pretty stellar season, um, especially considering the circumstances defensively in, in Dallas, and and then you've got um, you know Jonathan Bernier has been like the the, the perfect backup goaltender. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, you've got uh, you know these kind of other bizarre. Um, uh, you know, guys that have risen to the top, and it, but more, I think what's more spectacular is some of the guys down that have been down near the bottom all season, um, like Henrik Lundqvist. Those are names that you never associate uh, with anything uh, below league average, anything even close to below league average. So um, it's strange, and I think you really do with goaltenders. You do have to go case by case and look at the circumstances because we just haven't done a good enough of a job of separating out um, confounding variables and team effects and all those things that impact how a goalie performs. And because there are so many, you know, kind of circumstantial types of uh, empirical data um, that you, I, I think you still really do have to consider when analyzing a goalie. It is hard to just go by the numbers when you're looking at goalies because, quite frankly, the numbers aren't have proven not to be good enough at predicting performance. Right. Well, at the same time, though, like if we've come, you know, if, if there's like, let's say like a guy like Henrik Lundqvist and a guy like Corey Schneider, for example, I mean, we've come to sort of expect this like level of greatness from them. And then when they don't perform that way. Like, yeah, I understand what you're saying, especially in terms of a guy like Lundqvist, for example. Like, when you watch the Rangers play, it's it's pretty clear that most of the time the team in front of them is just hanging him out to dry. And it's like, it's it's stuff where it, it's, you know, you'd, you'd have to be honestly an idiot to think that it's, it's his fault, like some of these goals right. that, that are happening. But then it's like, well, it's been that way for years. And, you know, it, it's quite possible that maybe... He, he's just having an off year, maybe some age related signs of decline slowly. And it's like one of those things where if you just lose like a fraction of your ability, all of a sudden you just get exposed to that same stuff that you That's otherwise right. would have been co- able to cover for before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially so just kind of staying on Lundquist, especially given the circumstances. So, you know, I, I've been going back to this um, average shot distance. Um, it, it hasn't really proven to be. Um, predictive of performance but again i think that's because there are tons of confounding variables that get in between the seams of just shot distance you know shot distance is a simple statistic it's just how far away from the net are the shots coming but if you if you watch a rangers game you know that the shots are in tighter they're often um going through several layers of screens it makes it difficult to track the puck and as a result there's lots of tips and deflections that happen um right around the net and um lots of guys sitting wide open on the doorstep to tap pucks in so those are things that that Lundqvist can't really control. They've been there in the past, though. They've always kind of been there for him. If you look historically, the Rangers have had um, the lowest average shot distance for, meaning closest to the net, for for several seasons now. So, um, you know, those things really haven't changed all too much. Maybe, um, you know, some of the defensemen like Dan Girardi and those guys are even worse than they've, they've been in the past. But but it hasn't gotten, you know, appreciably worse. The issue is what you were saying, which is 
you know, he's 34 going on 35 and he's starting to slow down. I think he has blips. He has games where he just doesn't look on. He's having trouble tracking the puck. His reaction time isn't up to speed uh, or, or up to the, you know, the crazy speed that it used to be. And sometimes some of those miraculous saves he used to make are just turning into goals. Mm-hmm. And and you see um, his reaction, too. He's, he's much more demonstrative this year uh, in terms of his disappointment in himself. Like, you can see visibly, like, he'll hang his head like, ugh. I, I like I I'm Henrik Lundqvist and I make those saves. Yep. You know, maybe other goalies don't, but I do, and he's not making them this year. And you know, it's a sign of aging. Now, could he have a, res- a renaissance season next season? I think he's already on his way to having a better second half. And mm-hmm. by the end of the year, I bet his stats are going to be they're not going to be great, but they're going to be above league average. He's already kind of creeping up in my stats that I look at, like Mercat and those. He's just below the Mendoza line now. So, um, you know, I think he's he's having like a second half kick. Could next season be you know uh, a vintage Lundqvist season? And this was just a blip. Yeah. Maybe, but you know, history tells us that goalies are going to decline at some point because of age, and you know, maybe just this is the time. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, but at the same time, like you're you're right in the sense that he's built up enough stock with us over the years that I'm not going to be the one to to bet against him at this point. Like I, right. I, no, I feel no. like with his, with a guy like him, like I'm going to have to see like overwhelming evidence to suggest that he's we need to recalibrate our expectations just because of like it, it, I don't want to be the type of guy that's like oh yeah no Henry Lundqvist's best days are behind him and then all of a sudden he's back to being like a 925 goalie and I'm just like oh I feel like an yeah. idiot now <laughs> yeah yeah you can't you can't because he is he is one of the very very few goaltenders where you can set your watch to him you know you know what he's going to turn in season in and season out and he's been doing it for over a decade so I don't I'm I'm, I'm with you I don't want to be the person who says well he's finished just because i'm looking at a sample of um you know whatever five playoff games last season uh and you know uh a swath of games this season whatever you want to call it 25 bad ones this season um you know that's not good enough for me to go well I, you know i'm writing off henrik lundquist and we need to um you know just think of him as a, a league average or worse goalie at this point because there's just too long of a track record of him being well well above average in terms of the, di- the distribution of his performance so mm-hmm. I, I do think the um the average shot distance thing you brought up is interesting i mean uh this year in particular i feel like we've been focusing on it a bit more just league-wide in terms of mostly shooters just because of the great work someone like michael mccurdy's been doing with the heat maps and stuff like that but it 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 is one of those things where you know if you try to find a relationship between shot distance and shooting efficiency or, or something like that it's it's kind of all over the place like there's like a slight positive relationship i feel like but not nearly as much as you'd think intuitively and i do think some of that just has to do with the fact that you know the guys with higher true shooting ability like a guy like Alex Ovechkin or early in his career what we've seen from Patrick Laine like those guys typically will because their shot is so much better they will kind of shoot from a further distance and I feel like that'll throw things off whereas like you see some of these like more like net front gritty guys that don't necessarily have that much skill but are just constantly around the net jamming away the puck like those guys it's 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 interesting how the shot profile and the type of shooter that's taking them like it it all works together but unfortunately we sort of have to go on a case-by-case basis because it's kind of all over the place otherwise 
Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, look at Ovechkin. You know, most of Ovechkin's power play one-timers, or a lot of them, I should say, not most, they're actually really coming from kind of a medium danger area. They're not they're not quite in that high danger area that most guys I think really need to shoot from on a one-timer in order to beat an NHL goalie consistently. Mm-hmm. They get, you know, a guy like Ovechkin or a line a, and there's a few others around the league. They get away with that because their shot is just that good. Um, the, the, you know, in terms of release and speed and trajectory and where it hits in the net. So um, that's, that's where, you know, quite frankly we've got these danger zones we've got distance from the net you know we've got heat maps and and where do shots usually come from but you know the missing link and this is what guys like ryan stimson are looking at with their tracking projects um the missing link is more information on what's happening before the shot that uh, you know, creates pre-shot movement, and then also what are the confounding variables in between uh, the shooter and the net um, in terms of screens, in terms of, um, you know, things that are, are potentially creating havoc for a goaltender in just, you know, squaring up and facing a shooter and, uh, you know, having it be the shot versus the goalie and, and which one is better. Right. Um, so, so that's the type of information and data that we, uh, you know, as a hockey analytics community or, or or whatever you want to call it um i think we need to continue to drill down into mm-hmm. and and until then you just got you really do i mean it's not a good or a lot of people will say it's it's not good practice to go case by case and kind of cherry pick statistics to right. make your argument but the reality is is with goalies you you really do kind of have to do that to a certain extent you can't just look at it on a surface level and go, oh, well, that explains everything. You know, Lundqvist, the, the shots are coming closer to the net. It doesn't explain everything. It just doesn't. Um, and the the predictivity of the of the statistics bears that out. You know, the only the only thing that I've really found that's been predictive is distribution of performance. Um, and that's, you know, a statistic I've messed with and mentioned on this show with win threshold and, and loss threshold. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really kind of, it's grouping data together and binning data, which is not, again, not good practice, yeah. but it, it, you know, it helps predict. There's just nothing, you can't take one stat and, and go, well, this stat works to explain everything. It's just not, we're not there yet. Right. And I understand, you know, that's sort of a bit of a point of contention or frustration for, for people, especially like, you know, it's easy if your job is working in hockey and, and, and analyzing this stuff and writing about it or talking about it on podcasts or radio or, or TV or what have you, and where you can like spend all day crunching the numbers and looking into it on a case by case basis and really doing deep dives. But it's like for more casual fans or observers, it, yeah, it'd uh, be nice to have a more catch all thing, like, you know, like, like how, um, baseball has like its war statistic or something like that or, or, or various other ones. And it's like where you could just point to one thing and it could just basically be like a ranking. But unfortunately, uh, it's just not, we're just not really at that point yet. Yeah. I, I think we will. I, I mean, we, we'll get there just based on it's, it's all about the underlying, underlying data and finding, you know, we've got to find the underlying data that actually, and then determine that it means something. Um, there are a lot of, companies and and you know resources that are tracking data and doing this stuff called microstats 
we just have to figure out what's meaningful and then implement it into a formula that will actually tell us something. Um, so it's going to get better and better. I think it's going to happen rapidly. I mean, I hope that a lot of this stuff that's, that's out there, um, but maybe black boxed, some of it will make it into the public domain so that smart people can mess around with it and turn it into, um, like you said, you know, either a war stat or whatever it may be that a, a casual fan can latch onto and go, okay, this I can trust is a, you know, a somewhat of a catch-all that will tell me where my goalie ranks. Well, and, you know, looking at the other end of the sort of, in terms of shooters, like, I constantly think that, you know, we've taken the next leap as as a community in terms of realizing that, you know, shooting efficiency for most guys is very volatile and it's all over the place. And that's why we look at shot generation stats more so than the actual goals they score, just because it tells us more about what's kind of what's going to come in the games and weeks and months to, to take place. But like, then you see a guy like Jordan Eberle, for example, who's generally been a pretty above average league shooter just shooting percentage just goes in a tank this year and then all of a sudden you start right. hearing all these rumblings about how you know Edmonton should move him and how he's you know a horrible player all of a sudden and it's like we, we we do this dance with various guys every year and and it for whatever reason it just keeps happening I mean I guess it helps it helps us because it gives us something to talk about and sort of uh, look right and look smart when it turns around and we've quote-unquote predicted it but I mean like it's it's just hilarious to me that we still keep doing the same dance yeah, that, the Jordan Eberle thing is funny, just an anecdote. Uh, I don't know where it was. I, I'm sure it was. I'm positive it was on Twitter. Uh, there was Somebody wrote something about how Eberle can't play on good teams hmm. because and, and that this season shows it. And I, and I said to myself, but when has he ever previously been on a good team where you can definitively say that it's that he can't play on good teams? Maybe just his shooting percentage went in the tank, which happens to everybody. It happened to Crosby last year for a huge, you know, portion of the season. It just happens mm-hmm. um, because hockey is hard, and sometimes you just don't score for a while. Um, so I, I thought that was hilarious. Oh yeah, the funny thing. I mean, it's like I feel like the only good team Jordan Eberle's ever played on that we've seen is like that world junior Canada team and where he was like yeah. one of the best players and insanely clutch and score the big goals. And it's yeah, like, but those what? are the look, details, details. Okay. Yes. I mean, yeah. that's just, that know. doesn't support our story. Yeah. That doesn't support our story. So we'll leave that out and we'll just, you know, continue barreling forward until Jordan, we run him out of town and, mm. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and then his shooting percentage just you know Magically, goes back to right. where we expected to be, and it's like, well, he must have changed something with his game. It's like I doubt he, it. Yeah, he yeah. was just jealous of Connor McDavid, and you know he just couldn't perform next to a guy like that. So yeah, he, he couldn't he couldn't handle all the success Edmonton was enjoying this year. It's, <laughs> it's too much for a system. Um, let's uh, okay. So the, the thing about back to the goalie discussion, um, you know, friend of the show Craig Custins had this theory where he talked to certain I think goalie coaches around the league and basically they were positing that just the weird nature of this season with the wonky schedule and how it started off with you know an irregular training camp and preseason because of the World Cup 
is sort of throwing them for a loop and and, and throwing them out of rhythm. And, you know, it, that would make sense if you just think about it, like just sort of how goalies are like creatures of habit, just like most pro athletes. But it's, I feel like goalies in particular, like where you just sort of do the same thing over and over again and need to get into a nice rhythm. And it makes sense that would throw off their performance. But it always seems like one of those things where like it's kind of hindsight 2020 where you're just trying yeah. to fit it, fit it to what's sort actually happening. Find an explanation. Like, I didn't right. see anyone like really – throwing this theory out before the season like goalies will struggle this year because of this like no one was really saying that so that's why i kind of have my eyebrows raised when someone says something like that yeah i I mean look uh, starting goalies are there's absolutely first of all there's no doubt in my mind that goalies are creatures of habit it's just like a pitcher in baseball you i i um I went haywire early in the season with a couple different goalie tandems where I said, why are they jerking these guys around? Mm -hmm. Just let them work through their problems. These guys are professionals, and they're comfortable doing this. They might have a a couple bad games, but in the long run, you'll be better off just letting them work through it because they are creatures of habit. You can't yank a guy out after one bad goal, and you know he's going to be better off for it. He's actually probably going to be worse off for it. Um, and so I've, I've been big on that. You, you got to let professionals do what they do and work through things. You got to let them know what their schedule is going to be, generally speaking, and you don't want to change it up too much. Like, I, I fine, if a coach wants to ride a hot hand or something like that, that's okay, I guess. But I like to say, okay, I've got two goalies. One is my starter. Um, he's going to get these games. The backup's going to get these games. All things equal, you know. And and then if there's an injury or something that changes it up, we deal with that. Um, I think a lot of goalie coaches will agree with that, with doing things that way because they work with these guys day in and day out. They um, everything in practices is, is about repetition uh, in terms of your your movements and how you approach different types of shots. And, you know, all of that gets thrown into upheaval when you suddenly change it. Now, the the thing that, to, to you know, what Custance did in, in pulling these various coaches, you know, there might be something to it. Um, the NHL changed its schedule. Suddenly we've, you know, congested certain areas of the season with a ton of games. Mm-hmm. And then there's these other areas of the season where you have no games, literally a, a one-week vacation. Yep. And it does change things up, especially for guys that have been pros for a long time and they're used to, at the NHL and the AHL level, a very similar type of schedule in terms in terms of the spread of games and, you know, when they're going to hit back-to-backs and things like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, I think there could be something to it. You know, is there a way to prove it? I don't know. Again, it's kind of a case-by-case thing. You know, a guy who's used to getting 60 games spread out over – a typical NHL season, yeah, it, it's a different schedule, and maybe it impacts them. But I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I, how do you prove that? You know, yeah, it seems way too convenient. Right, life's never that easy, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so there's like the guys like we mentioned, like Lundqvist, Schneider. I think you, you Carey Price has performed better than those guys, but based on his lofty standards, he's also his performance has dropped a little bit. There's well, he that, hasn't been consistent. You know, he's yeah. he's he usually is so steadily great. Um, he's been, he's had high highs and low lows, mm-hmm. which is not carry price. Yep. Yeah. And then so, but like those guys, it's, it's alarming just cause we're not used to seeing it from them. But then there's this other group of goalies where it's like the guys that people, you know, myself, especially were kind of slow to come around on whether it's Ben Bishop, as we discussed in the preseason or, or, um, 
I don't know, even like a, like a Steve Mason, I know you and I were probably in on him a bit earlier than most people, but it's like, even a Brian Elliott, it's like these guys that for years were sort of a punchline or people were very skeptical of their performance. And then they were so solid for a couple of years there where you had to just start buying in because you couldn't just keep waiting for the other shoe to drop. It seemed like it would never happen. And then all of a sudden this year, it's like... The, the the few people that were holding out hope that they they were right in their analysis that these guys actually maybe aren't that good it's like they're all of a sudden getting very vocal again because the performance has dipped quite a bit and I don't, I don't know it just it's frustrating to me like finally you buy in on this and then it's just like you're not you're not <laughs> rewarded for your faith at all yeah welcome to analyzing goalies yeah um yeah so so before the season so just taking those three guys so before the season i said steve mason is going to be great again um like he's been for the past few seasons he's in his prime in terms of his age prime uh and you know his performance in 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 philadelphia has been pretty much nothing short of spectacular so i don't see any reason why it wouldn't continue so, you know, put that one aside. That was my preseason prediction of him. Ben Bishop, I said he is due for a decline. I think we started to see it last season, and it will continue, and it's age-related and injury-related. Mm-hmm. A goalie that big with his injury history, it's only going to get worse. And, you know, let's face it, most goalies are not Henrik Lundqvist or Roberto Luongo where they last into their – into their thirties at all. And he's hitting that age where it's, you know, maybe it's just time for him to start declining. Goalies have a short shelf life. And, and I think he is one of them. So that was my prediction on him. And I look kind of smart on that one because I think that's pretty much what I think that's pretty much what we're seeing. Um, and then, um, uh, you know, and Elliot, I said, hey, that's a great pickup by Calgary. He's going to be awesome. He's been awesome. Um, you know, I don't know how long that will last for, but he's certainly at the top of his game right now. Uh, and, you know, I I honestly don't think he got a fair shake, So, or hasn't gotten a fair shake. Um, he hasn't been able to kind of work through issues. He's been treated like a guy on a short leash, who is a tandem type of goalie, which is what he was in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit, fr- I think it's a little bit frustrating that he's been treated that way in Calgary. But then again, Chad Johnson, for some weird reason, has been, <laughs> was, was exceptional for, you know, a huge portion of the season. So, um, so yeah, so I, I've been eating some crow on Twitter because of <laughs> some of these guys, but you know, I, I, I think that there are there is kind of cir- circumstantial, empirical evidence to suggest either um, to explain their performance or to, to suggest it might get better. Um, you know, Steve Mason was just jerked around for the first part of the season. Neuverth went down with injury and then suddenly hit a stride, and he played really really well. And then he hit hiccups, but every goalie hits hiccups. Uh, it's just how quickly they get out of it. His has just been more prolonged. Now he's kind of starting to play a little bit better again. Yep. You got to just give just give the guy some leash for once. Mm. You know, let him play um, because his recent history suggests that he is good enough to get out of it, and he's consistent enough to perform well for a long period of time. So let him work through it. Hackstall doesn't give him any leash at all. He freaks out at the first sign of him playing poorly and yanks him, um, which I, I think for a goalie like Steve Mason, it really, um, 
you know, uh, screws him up in terms of confidence and, and his, his readiness to perform. So, um, I think in terms of like value added though, I mean, if assuming it doesn't cost them a a playoff spot and they miss out because of the goaltending, like if they make it and they're able to get, get Mason on a more team friendly, cheaper deal because of this drop. It's like, that's going to work out pretty nicely for them. Although I guess you could also argue that like they might freak out and think this is the new Steve Mason and just like not give him a contract at all and just let, let him walk. And that would, that would be a bad decision. I think. Yeah, I mean that's that's the whole thing. There there are a lot of people out there that just don't believe in a guy like a Steve Mason um, because of his funny career trajectory, maybe or you know I don't know I don't know why Philadelphia fans are notoriously tough on their goalies. But um, yeah, the silver lining underneath all this is uh, you basically knock the guy's stature down to the point where you can get him for for a really team friendly deal yeah. and keep him around. You know, no, I don't think Neuverth is a guy that you really. If you can keep him for for cheap, great. If he if he goes away, that's fine too. He's kind of a career backup type of goalie. So, um, you know, I, I've heard some stuff out there. Well, should they keep Mason or Neuverth? I don't even think that's a question. I think it's do you keep Mason if you can get him on a team friendly contract, or is he going to go into free agency and somebody's going to give him you know a bloated contract, which I highly doubt. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the only question. Then Neuverth is just, you know, if you want to keep him great. If not, you've got Stolars that you can bring up and, and make the, um, you know, the caddy. Yeah, yeah. well, the, the Elliott one is is the, the fascinating case to me just because, I mean, I think that, you know, if him if him and the Blues could do it all over again, I'm sure they would just love to uh, repeat yeah. what, they, what they had going last year, the magic they had there where they were first in the league in save percentage. And, you know, he's, his performance has, uh, has, has declined. And as you mentioned, he hasn't really given it, afforded a chance to work through it, but it's like, they, they, they basically just tried to replace him with Carter Hutton, who was like a suboptimal backup. And, who's not an NHL goalie. He yeah. never has been. I think if you asked Carter Hutton, he'd be like, I don't know how this happened, but here I am. Yeah, I mean, they should just like they should just let Carter Hutton be their their color commentator on their on their home broadcast. Like he's he's he's, he's fantastic. He provides way more insight than I've heard from any of these other guys. Just let him do that. Like let put the man in a position to succeed is what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah, Carter Hutton's a, an interesting story because he really was not a guy who was ever expected to make it to this level at all, mm-hmm. um, and he didn't really win his way to this level with his le- with his performance. It was just a bunch of injuries kind of led to like a circumstance where he kind of worked his way up, you know, ECHL, AHL, and suddenly he's in the NHL, which does happen from time to time. Um, and even then, he didn't really seize the opportunity. He, I think he just, maybe he's one of those guys that everybody likes him. And they said, well, he's, you know, as a backup, I guess maybe you could do worse. We'll just keep him around as a backup. So suddenly he was, you know, an NHL backup. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. I mentioned this on another podcast, but, you know, some of those types of backups, they get this like reputation of like, oh, he's just a he's a steady backup. He's a good guy to have around, and then they make an NHL career out of it. But the underlying performance and the statistics don't bear out that he's anything better than a below average goalie. You can get a an average or above NHL average backup, and that's what you should be looking for. You shouldn't be looking for Carter Hutton. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know I, that's hey i don't i i i said last season and i said before this season i said i don't think jake allen is ever going to be uh, a very great nhl starter i think he's 
um, a a serviceable guy who can perform at or just above league average, which is good. Um, You know, this season he's not. Um, You know, and I think that that's why that tandem maybe worked is you've got essentially Jake Allen, who's a, a really good backup and then Brian Elliott, who's on top of his game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, at any given time, you're getting pretty good goaltending out of it. So I I, I do think the Blues would, would take that one back if they could. Yeah, well, it just it's, it's one of those things where, you know, Ken Hitchcock obviously paid for it because he was already kind of in that weird middle ground where it was clear that he wasn't going to be back after this year, so it made it easier to just cut the cord now. But it's like people are making all these excuses about you know how the system had deteriorated and how their defensive scheme wasn't what it used to be. And it's like there's nothing in the numbers to suggest that. Like they give up the same number of chances, the same number of shots, like everything is the exact same. And it's just one of those things where the goalies just stop making the same number of saves they were making last year. And obviously when that happens, you're going to lose a lot more games and you're gonna your your defensive system is just gonna look a lot worse because you're just kind of micro analyzing and questioning everything after the pucks in your net. So it's just like right. it's funny how that works. But I like the, the Hutton discussion is a good one, and I think that that's what I want to spend a bunch of time here on. I, I wrote about it this week on Sportsnet.ca, and people can check that out. Um, but it's I basically raised the question of. You know, the, the backup position was this one thing where it was often overlooked. It was you just have these sort of career backups, guys that had been around the league, mostly because they were just pleasant to be around, I'm assuming, or, you know, or the consummate professional or, or, or all this sort of intangible stuff. But it's like right. it, it, it was it was one thing when, you know, when we knew less about goaltending and how usage affects performance and you had starters like Mika Kiprasov and Marty Bruder playing like 72 times a year. It's like, OK, well, I mean, if you're only going to be playing a guy 10 times a season like there's only so much damage you can do but now as we're learning that goalies really shouldn't be playing more than something like 60 games 65 tops and backups are playing more as a result like it's very all of those games mean so much in today's nhl with all the three points that three point games that are handed out and how tight the standings are and it just seems crazy to me that there's so many teams out there that are just very negligent in how they're filling that position considering how big of a difference it can make in in the standings like it's like if you're just like giving away points when you're playing a guy like Jonas Gustafsson right like rather than actually having a competent backup there that's that's such a major difference for you in the grand scheme of things yeah yeah it's really uh an interesting thing I was just just wanted to look something up real quick because so Curtis McElhaney Mm -hmm. um is a career backup right And he is, yeah, this is what I wanted to look up. So Curtis McElhaney is 33 years old. <laughs> and, you know, suddenly he, he's like the, the you know, the, the sought-after backup because he had this little short spurt of, of really good performance that just so happened to coincide with Columbus playing out of their mind in front of him, right? Mm-hmm. So, so suddenly he's this sought-after backup. You know, he ends up in Toronto because they have a need for backups, uh, for a backup goalie, um, a desperate need for a backup goalie because they're basically burning uh, Anderson out and they need to give, they need to give Anderson um, some, some breathing room. So, um, so they go out and get McElhaney and, and I don't know if it's a direct quote or not, but this is what I heard from somebody else and I'm just going to say it anyways. Apparently Babcock during, uh, an interview about McElhaney, they said, he said something like, well, he's six foot three and you can't, you can't, he's six foot three and he's always going to be six foot three and you can't coach six foot three or something like that. 
so so apparently, you know, Babcock, which he's done before with other types of players, you know, he's he's basically what he's saying is, I want a backup who I can throw in the net, and he's going to be six foot three tonight or any night I throw him in the net, and you know, by proxy of his size, he will be able to make enough saves for us to you know get through a game with a backup in net, right? Yep. So so. That is a perfect kind of description of like this, you know, what might make a guy a career backup that has really nothing to do with his career performance. But it's it's almost akin to a relief pitcher in baseball where um, I think you've used this before, but like Fernando Rodney. It's like, why does a Fernando Rodney keep getting chances? Well, because he's demonstrative on the mound and he (laughs) he throws hard and sometimes he'll strike some people out. Yeah, but what in his overall performance makes him good enough to eat those innings up? We need those innings to be eaten up by somebody because we don't throw pitchers for nine innings anymore. So should we be giving them to a guy where they've proven statistically that they're good or we predict statistically that they're good or should we just give it to a guy who has this standout feature and there are a lot of nhl teams that give a guy a a backup role because of some standout feature it's like you said it's oh he's he's a consummate professional he he shows up to work every day it's like who doesn't what are you talking about (laughs) right yeah he he comes in with a good attitude and he and he supports his starting goalie and and blah 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 okay yeah great that's good that would be a great trait on a good a good goalie, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> right? A, a good goalie who actually performs well. You know, a Curtis McElhinney. Well, he you know he's he's a guy. He's he's bigger. He fills the net, and you know we can have faith that when we put him in there, he's going to just block some stuff just by virtue of his size. Okay, that's great if it were actually true. Yeah. Curtis McElhaney, for his career, has been one of the worst goalies in the NHL over the entire over every single season that he's played. Mm-hmm. So, so it's just not true. Yeah. Um, and it's really, really interesting to me that that there are backups, like you said, that that it's like they make a whole career out of this thing that has nothing to do with really actually stopping the puck yeah which is their job um, and what they're paid to do <laughs> and, and, it, and it's important now it's vital that you have a backup goalie that can stop the puck because they're gonna play yeah and with how tight the standings are whether they're playing 10 games or 25 games every single game is important because there is no wiggle room you are going to have to put a backup in, and that game is going to be a quote unquote important game because every point matters at this uh, uh, with with how the NHL is. The, the parity, um, you know, is is razor thin. So, yeah. well, I mean, you look at the Bruins like the best example. I mean, they've won something like three out of twenty six possible points when Rask hasn't been in net, and it's like yeah. even if they win like half of those, all of a sudden they're comfortably in a playoff spot and this whole Claude Julien storyline it just isn't a thing and it's like it's amazing how little little difference or, or how just like them changing one little at facet of their game that probably wouldn't be that expensive could make all the difference in the world but I think like pro sports in general has this sort of problem with recycling talent where it's like once you get your foot in the door you're pretty much a made man from that point and, and that's so true with you know you mentioned like a guy Fernando Rodney like pro quote-unquote proven closers in baseball where it's like if you've saved games at any point in your career you're probably gonna have <laughs> first dibs on being a closer for some other team yeah. because you've done it before where it's like 
seems kind of like a like a weird catch. Well, yeah, it's and like then to get a, to, and, to be a proven closer, you need to be given a chance in the first place. So it's like right, everyone and, and then they have this setup one. role now. You know, the setup role now is getting you know treated kind of with the same. Um, how they treat the the closer role. So now what ends up happening is you have a closer who couldn't cut it as a closer. They just go, oh, well, then he's a setup man. He just must be a setup man. And what really, I mean, there's not really a ton that's different between the eighth and the ninth inning, and that's been proven statistically in terms of how they perform or, you know, the leverage of the situation. Games are usually around the same score in the eighth and ninth inning. So... You know, all that all that they're basically doing is exactly what you said. It's like, well, this guy got a ch- chance to be a closer, regardless of how he did in that chance. It just means that he's a closer now. But maybe he's not a tier one closer, so we'll just turn him into a setup man. Right. <laughs> it's like, no, that maybe he's not even an uh, ML. I almost said NHL <laughs> uh, MLB pitcher. Maybe mm-hmm. he's just not one, and maybe we need to go into our minor league system and find another guy who could competently fill that role and. Um, you know, the analogy works for backup goalies you know, with limited data on most backups in terms of, you know, just the, the, the size of the sample of NHL shots. Why not just pull the trigger and go try to find somebody who, you know, maybe they're performing well on the farm and you just give them a shot and see if you catch lightning in the bottle. Why is that any worse than just taking a guy who's proven to be bad and putting him in there, you know? Well, I mean, uh, you, you look at, like, the, the Sharks are a great example of this, where, like, Aaron Dell all of a sudden this year comes out of nowhere and is having a fantastic backup season for them. And it's like, yeah. you know, he had good numbers in the AHL, and they just finally gave him a chance, and he's doing perfectly fine. And I'm not saying that they should, you know, sign him up to a, a massive long-term deal to be their backup for the rest of time, but it's like... It's, but you it, go season to season, and you say, yeah. okay, Aaron Dell, he kicked ass, so let's see if he can keep kicking ass, and you know, if he doesn't kick ass next season, we're no worse for it because he's on a small, you know, a, a, a short-term contract and we're probably not paying him much. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's just like with like, you know, fourth liners or, or third liners in hockey where it's like when teams sign these guys like Luke Lindening or whatever or Trevor, or Trevor Lewis with the Kings, it's like when you give them like a four-year deal, um, it just, it, it, it's not that they're not useful players, but committing yourself to that much time for those yeah. types of players when they're just That's readily available the at the AHL level, like if they have an injury or if their performance declines for whatever reason, you can, you should be able to just make the change on the fly and just go with someone else rather than being pot committed to that player. It's like, it's, it just seems like a logical way to approach roster construction. Yeah, there, there's a, it, it, well, it, we're going to have an interesting time here with the, with the expansion because, you know, you're going to see, there's going to be more room for, you know, some of these guys who are, "Quote unquote tweeners to actually make an impact on an NHL roster because there's another team in the league, so there's just more available spots. Um, and you know, there's this there's this kind of um, predominant thought across, and I, I think across NHL front offices, which is that there's a clear dividing line between what's an NHL player and what's an AHL player." Mm-hmm. I don't think that's true at the bottom of your roster. I just don't. I think on a third, uh, a third line, a fourth line, your third pairing defenseman, your backup goalie, 
I think that it's a lot closer than they're willing to admit. Now, obviously, system to system, it might be different. You know, the, the Bruins really just don't have a lot going on in terms of, of goalie talent at, at the lower levels. But with that being said, the difference between a Zay McIntyre and, you know, Subban or whoever, eh. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but if, he, if, if McIntyre doesn't perform, you bounce him and try the other guy, you know, I mean, who cares at that point? So, you know, I, I think that's something that front offices kind of have to overcome is that you do have a pool of talent that you can reach into. If you don't see the guy performing, you don't have to go out and sign a Curtis McElhaney, um, in order to fill that role necessarily, because he's not going to give you necessarily anything better than what your pool of talent below the NHL level could give you. Yeah, and I mean, you know, listen, there are, you know, historically there have been challenges with the backup position. You, if you're playing once every handful of weeks, like it's tough to to work on your yeah, game, work yeah. your kinks out. And and I understand it might it would probably would be pretty mentally draining, like having to constantly be prepared, but knowing that you're probably not going to be playing unless things go horribly wrong for your team. Like it's it's a tough position to fill. But I think that. You know, that might have been the case more so when it was that sort of 70, 70 to 10 split. Now that we're transitioning closer to, you know, the smart teams going to even more of like a 50 30 almost. Like, I think that yeah. you're incentivized to give that young prospect that you think highly of that you drafted or signed or whatever that's dominated at lower levels give him a chance to play because he's probably a better option than a Curtis McElhaney or a Carter Hutton or a Jeff Zatkoff and you know you get him in there you play him a bit more frequently and like we're seeing we're seeing a team like the Predators for example this year I mean they're a perfect example of that they let Carter Hutton walk they promoted UC Soros and he's performing remarkably well and i don't want to get too carried away after just 10 games like i'm not i'm not necessarily in the camp yet that he should be playing over pecorine i think you know there should be more of a split for sure but i, I want to I'm see in that you know, camp <laughs> well i mean i, I mean listen I, it's it's quite you, you know he got sent down right yeah i think to just like get get a bit more games or something yeah like that. they want to get him i think they want to get him reps but yeah, like um, I, I think that you know, I I think it's very realistically possible that he's already a better goalie than Pekarene. But at the same time, like we're seeing with guys like Vasilevsky and Mrazek this year, who were both very high on, like it's not always this sort of upward ascension. Like there's peaks and valleys when it comes to development, and sometimes you sure. get these rough patches. So I don't want to, after just ten games, anoint him as one of the best five goalies in the league based on like how he's performed in short doses this year. But it is like it's just a great example of how they instead of signing Carter Hutton to this two or three year deal this summer, just because they were comfortable with him, they let him walk. They brought in this guy. They were very high on that maybe in the past wouldn't have gotten this opportunity because he was too young or too unproven and he's rewarded them for it. And I think that more teams should look at that and act accordingly because it's a great way to squeeze out, even if it's like five points or something over a full season like that's enormous like if that was like a skater we'd be writing so many blog posts raving about how useful this guy is so it's like it's i just think that we don't spend nearly enough time talking about that as a as a kind of a sneaky little advantage for teams to exploit yeah yeah i i, I you know i think you know what you said was it was about um, the, the split of goalies. Like there, I just don't think there's many NHL goalies that should be getting 70 games um, on merit or because it's a good idea, you know? Um, I, I mean, on merit, if you want to ride a hot hand like a Devin Dubnik or, or um, uh, you know, whoever it may be, 
and then they end up getting more starts than maybe they should have gotten um, because you're riding him. Well, fine, the, the, so be it. You know, I don't think a guy like a Freddie Anderson should play that many games. You know, Tuka Rask is too late in his career to play 70, 72 games or whatever the hell he's on pace for. Um, I mean, uh, Cam Talbot's like on pace to play like 73 games or something. Yeah. This year, and it's because they thought that Jonas Gustafsson would be able to spell him occasionally. And he proved that just as been the case for the past five years or, or pretty much since he came to the NHL, he wasn't up to the task. And I think that, you know, they do have playoff aspirations. They look like a pretty good team out West and they'd be smart to slow down a little bit with that because I think that at this rate, come the playoffs, Cam Talbot will probably be a shell of himself. Yeah, this is, that's exactly it. And that's what I'd be fearful of. I, you know, uh, just I don't think there's a lot of goalies that should be playing that much. And so if, if you slow it down and, and you give your backup time, obviously you want to have faith in your backup that they can actually do the job. And, you know, in Edmonton they don't have it. But let's say you have a, you know, a backup who, who's proven competent um, or, or maybe they're a young prospect or whatever it may be. I think you got to just give them that time at the NHL level and let the chips fall where they may. Um, uh, you know, Nashville is a good example. Like they should just give Soros more time. Just mm-hmm. give him more. You don't have to give him starters time. Give him a, a, a healthy dose in, in the backup role. He's going to be better off for it because he's going to get his reps um, and he's going to get to be on, on, at the NHL level and grow his confidence and all those other good things that go into you know turning him into starting goalie. And and you're not gonna you're not gonna affect Renee. He's a professional. He he knows probably where he's at. Generally speaking, in, in his career, you know he's he's 34 years old himself. So uh, you know he's he it's probably about time for him to start giving up that role a little bit. Um, I I think the entire team is better off for it when you, when you do stuff like that, but you had to, you have to do it with consistent consistency. You got to dole it out in a fair way. And um, it can't just be, well, we're going to yank Renee whenever he struggles and put in Saros. And then we're going to yank Saros if he struggles and and put in Renee and, and do all this stuff like they do in Philadelphia. Just give those guys the time yeah. and give it, you know, dole it out in, in, uh, you know, sixty percent to forty percent or whatever you want to call it, um, so that both guys are, are fresh, but they're, they've also gotten their reps in. Um, you don't have the only, you know, guys where you, you need to just give them the net and let them let them dictate it are absolute superstars like a Carey Price or a Henrik Lundqvist or a guy like that, where that's a guy that he should be able to dictate when he can play and when he can't play. Yeah. Um, and, and those are rare. You know, there's a handful of those in the, in the league. Look at um, in, um, in Washington, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, so I, I know Holpe won the Vezina last year, but everybody should know at this point that he didn't deserve to win the Vezina yeah. last year. This year, he actually is a legit Vezina candidate. Yeah, he's um, what people thought he was last year. Exactly, yeah. and he and he was always on that trajectory to become a top five NHL goalie, and I think he's now he's there. Uh, if you remember when we when we did our um, our goalie rankings way back, I said you know he's on his way to being there, and it's just a matter of when he makes that next step. Mm-hmm. And I think he's made that next step. But I think a big thing that's helped him that's been underrated is they've given Grubauer a ton of time. Yep. Like Grubauer's played like I, I don't know off the top of my head, but I think he's played. You know, well over he's over five hundred minutes. Um, almost, I think he's like almost six hundred minutes of time, which yeah. is quite a bit considering Holpe's stature as the you know 
the, the most recent Vezina winner. That's to me, that's great coaching. That's just saying, okay, let's make sure Holpe's healthy. Let's, you know, back him off a little bit. If he's feeling something, we'll sit, sit him for a while. And also we'll just give Grubauer time because it's a good thing to do. Let's not exhaust our starting goalie. Yeah. Um, and, um, I, I, I hope he, I think, is having his best season so far. So maybe there's a, a little bit of a connection there. Well, I think I think a lot of it also has to do with backwards thinking in terms of just like results based analysis teams often do, where it's like that whole thing where you know you can't you got you just got to keep playing the team that just won the night before. Like you can't make any lineup changes because we was like why well, why would we we won last night we, we we shouldn't change anything but it's like that's that's not how you should approach this stuff particularly with goaltending where it's like you should just have that plan as you said like this guy's gonna be playing on this night and you just do it no matter what and let, let the chips may where they fall, fall where they may because like with 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 goalies it's it's I don't know. Just results-based analysis when it comes to that just throws me for such a loop where it's like the whole timely save thing, or or yeah. or, or you know a, a guy's riding hot. It's where we have all this evidence that shows that just like with most other positions, like there's no there there's ups and downs, but it's not necessarily a hot streak. It's just a, a variance in their performance. And like I think that playing a guy repeatedly just because he keeps winning like is not the way you should approach it. It doesn't seem like a sustainable uh, thought process moving forward. You should have a plan and just execute it regardless of what happens pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, if you do that, if you do that, most goalies are going to respond to it positively. Um, because of you know what we went back to, which is that they're creatures of habit. They like to know what they're getting themselves into, and it doesn't affect. It doesn't shake their confidence or anything like that. These guys are professionals. I do hear. I get a lot of backlash when I talk about like the confidence of a goalie and in their the mental aspect of the game. But I've coached goalies. I know that a ton of it is happening between their ears, and and, and not you know physically. And um, you know when you do when you. You, when you dole out the assignment, you know, and and you kind of keep things status quo throughout the season, the goalies just say, okay, this is my job and I'm going to prepare for this job. And there's no other kind of, uh, you know, confounding type of variable that comes in of, oh, my God, I'm going to get yanked the next time I give up a bad goal. I just know that that's coming around the corner because that's how this coach is, mm-hmm. um, which – uh, you know, uh, sure, it's hard to prove it, but it does, I think, overall, it impacts performance potentially negatively for a lot of goalies where, you know, um, th- there's a frailty in their in their confidence and their kind of their mental makeup um, to, to deal with it, even as a professional. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, it, but I don't know, you know, it's it's hard to, to know case by case i think like for instance in florida they they knew before the season started that they were going to give reimer a healthy dose of mm-hmm. of starts you know that's why they got him i'm sure that luongo knew that going in hey you're not going to start 65 games you're going to start you know maybe 50 games or whatever it is um and they're on pace for that i think reimer started like 20 or 22 games or whatever it is mm-hmm. and luongo's performance has dipped um and you know, I don't know. You know, we could certainly say it's got to be age at this point with Luongo. But, you know, somebody could also say, well, maybe it's just because he knows he's not going to play as much. And, you know, he's not happy with that. And he doesn't do as well in, in a tandem. He could be right. Um, there's no way to prove one way or the other. Um, but I, I, I still believe that you're doing 
what's best for the goalie when you just plan in advance and and lay it out there and say, look, this has nothing to do with performance. This is how we're going to treat you guys as goalies based on what we know about you today. Yeah. You know. Yeah, no, I completely agree, man. Uh, we're in, we're in agreement here. Um, all right, let's uh, let's get out of here. We're getting close to the one hour mark. I feel like uh, we've put in some work here today. Yeah, wings and beer, yeah. Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, where can uh, where can people check you out online, man? Uh, you can check me out on Twitter as always, uh, N Mercad N M E R C A D on Twitter. Uh, I am not a writer anymore. I'm just going to say that I'm a I'm a, I'm a media. Uh, a media mogul. Were you, were you ever a writer? Just, just by just by title, right? <laughs> just by title. Uh, yeah, I, I, I wrote for a while, and then uh, uh, you know other things get in the way. No, I, I, I you can find me on Twitter. That's that's where I've got my public stuff that I uh, talk about with goalies. Yeah, yeah, and also I see you appearing on other podcasts and stuff. And um, listen, I'm not happy about it, but I understand <laughs> it's a it's a part of life. I can't give you everything you need and right. and deserve. Look, are we negotiating an exclusivity deal? Because I think I need fair compensation for that. <laughs> uh, we'll talk, man. We'll talk. We'll figure something out. Um, all right. Thanks, all right, to Let's uh, enjoy the Super Bowl, man, and we'll, we'll chat soon, okay? All right. Thanks. Have a good one. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast.